Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. This is episode number 104 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. This week we're talking about Awakening, the third episode of Stargate Universe's new second season. This was a big one that we were looking forward to for a long time, obviously mm-hmm. with the Cedar ship coming in here. We've been calling it the Cedar ship, which the producers realize sounds like the kind of a tree, C-E-B-A-R ship. So I think they, they kind of renamed it. It's, it's Seed Now ship. a Seed ship. Kind of a, kind of a better name. I think. Yeah. But um, big piece of the show's mythology. Big piece of the show's mythology. This is something that uh, we've been wanting to see for a long time. At least I have. And we'll be getting into that. It, interesting how the episode turned out. And uh, I, ha- I, have, I have a little bit to say on this one. First, how was your week? Same old, same old. Just uh, trucking along. A lot, uh, lot of stuff happening. Preparing for the holidays. Bought my, uh, flight, bought, bought my plane tickets home. Uh, for Thanksgiving, so get moseying mm, in that direction. Thanks. And you're going to be heading this way, too, at some point, aren't you? Yeah, we'll be coming back to the States for six weeks over Christmas. We'll be there all of December and the first half of January, so... Wow. That's coming soon. Are you looking forward to it? I am. I'm looking forward to it. As expected, it's a working vacation, so mm-hmm. I will continue to find a place to work most days, I think, and keep trucking away on this this dissertation you have work lined up for while you're here yeah well it's never ending so. oh you're not gonna go out and get a job no i'm not getting a job i'll be working on my dissertation while i'm home i went to a scottish themed party tonight and we had it was supposed to be scottish themed dancing but apparently the dances were from like canada and the u.s <laughs> but that was fun no but what i want to report is i've been living in scotland for a year now and i had haggis tonight for the first time really i don't even know what that is it's uh like uh, meats and some chopped up vegetables and stuff that they stuff into a sheep's stomach and they cook it in a sheep's stomach <laughs> okay it was actually pretty good really they have lots of leftovers so yeah i'll have wow. to come up with some creative ways of eating this stuff. haggis sandwich all right let's get into this episode the main discussion our main discussion for this episode is the SGU Season 2 episode, Awakening, the third episode of Season 2. This is one that I've been looking forward to for a long time. And, you know, I, I gotta say, it kind of personifies the point that I've had about episode titles. You and I have argued a little bit about to spoil or not to spoil. And I don't like knowing anything about mm-hmm. a season that's coming up. Because of the, I mean, you start you start forming opinions in your head about expectations about what it's going to be, and you're like, well, and and you've always said, well, largely, you know, you can't you can't judge a book by its cover, you know, you can't you can't take a look at a title like Awakening and and come to conclusions about it. Well, it's human nature to piece things together, and I piece things together for this episode, and because of it. Yeah, just based on the title, or based, based on, on the t- based on the like title, the logline. I didn't read the logline. I, I still don't know yeah. what the logline looks like. Based on the title, I was expecting things that this episode did not deliver, and that's not their fault. Mm. That's that's my fault. Mm. But I'm curious what it was you expected. I expected because in a, in a science fiction show, especially, 
we have a crew flying around in a big spaceship with a title like Awakening, I would innately expect that we would encounter probably an alien life form and probably wake them up. I was expecting Destiny to waken. I was expecting hmm. Destiny to come to life in some it, to begin to come to life in some regard, corresponding to what its uh, actual true mission is. I was expecting the crew to come to have have uh, an epiphany, an awakening about its true mission in the galaxy. I was expecting Chloe to begin to have an awakening as to this trans. Uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe if I won't spoil that, but things are going to start happening with Chloe, and I was expecting that to happen, and none of yeah, that some, happened some in this episode. There's some long-term story arcs for season two that we know are coming up. They're obviously hinting a lot about Chloe and her bullet wound in her leg yeah. that she suffered at the end of season one, rapidly healing. And she talks to TJ here. She doesn't know why. That's, and it's, I mean, we're three episodes in now. We're yeah. a third of the way through the first half of the season uh, that's airing in the fall. And it's kind of, yeah, it's, it feels like it's taking a while for some it's, of these Yeah, it's not happening. Going. And what the episode is is primarily about is uh, is the awakening of these of these creatures on this ship and that's a whole other ball of wax that I'm sure we'll get into but so so for for reasons entirely my own I was very disappointed in this episode and mm. that's, you know, your, that's and your brain though that's, that's the expectations my, that your brain created I know but that's why I don't want to know the episode titles <laughs> that's why for the Not most even part the titles yeah no, you mentioned an episode last week, like Melange or Meyer, Malice. Some, some, Malice. Malice. I, that's the first time I'd heard of that, you know. And it's just I'm trying to stay away from them as far as I can because largely I'm enjoying the new season. I'm yeah. enjoying the direction that it's going in, and I'm just well. Becoming... Some titles have more hints than than others. Certainly, Malice just says to me, "Somebody is mad at somebody else." Yes, but it's not about hints to me as much as it is. You know, forming a conclusion about the episode in my mind before I've seen it, and and yeah. judging the episode based on completely uh, irrelevant data that my that my brain has managed to cobble together. So I I just yeah, I'm becoming is, more and more of a hermit in that regard. I guess more of a recluse really from spoilers. We've talked about the the spoiler phenomenon a bit on this podcast, uh, and that's obviously a, a giant ball of wax. But you bring up an interesting point, which is that in this day and age, audiences are just very sophisticated, and it's really tough for writers to keep you keep you engaged, let alone keep you guessing. Yeah, and with the amount of speculation and discussion that goes on now that we have the interwebs to talk on for seven days out of the week in between new episodes, it's an interesting new era for television viewing. But what did you think of the episode? It's it's makes it tough to put everything aside i mean when i there are certain shows that i watch that i have absolutely zero contact with online fandom or online information you know i don't know episode titles i don't read log lines i don't read interviews with the actors you watch for, it and enjoy uh, it for what it is some shows that I, that I tune into weekly like house or the office uh, i just flick the channel over on that night and i watch the episode and it's a totally different experience than a show that I'm really into online, like Stargate, where you, you you almost have to when you sit down to watch an episode, you have to deliberately make yourself back off, mm-hmm. you know, and just sort of try and reset your brain to zero and forget what you know, and just try mm-hmm. and enjoy this hour of television as it's been produced and is is being presented to you. 
Well, that's the difference between a casual viewer and a fanatic. As far as Awakening goes, I want to talk about the contents of this episode for sure with you. I think it's a good episode. It lived up to some of my expectations. But with such a big piece of of universes mythology, with leadership, a seed ship uh, (laughs) that was launched by the ancients, I expected to learn more. Frankly, yeah, they uh, raise questions. When you're writing an episode of television, you don't necessarily want to give the audience an info dump. You don't want to have somebody like Rush just start yammering on for three pages of the script yeah. about yeah. you know mythology and backstory. But as a guy who loves mythology and backstory, I was kind of disappointed that we didn't learn more or get more yeah. out of uh, the ship. Although apparently we did get a big database download, which I think and hope we might uh, might learn some stuff from out that i hope we might learn some stuff from as the show goes on yeah the first few minutes of the episode there once the the uplink uh, once the ships have uh, connected to one another there's this transfer of data and they they talk about that for a little bit and then move on from it but i think that that's going to play something pretty significant later the characters say that they they have no idea what this content is it's just packets of information and i guess uh, that will play into something later but we don't know why well, the ship this. has stopped we don't know a lot of things about what's right. going on do we or do we not have some sort of subspace link between destiny and the cedar ships where we get you know, some sort of sensor data that they transmit back to us. They do. This they was do. brought up. This was brought up in. I want to say it was Faith, but I think it was earlier than that. There was some siege ship discussion going on with Faith because we found this planet, right, and this solar system that the cedar ships. Yeah, they send back telemetry about what they encounter, and that and that system had not been classified. Yeah, but it was in the episode where where Rush basically pulls a fast one on the crew and says, mm-hmm. the sea ship's sending us this data, and there's a planet that's a year away that's an, an Icarus-type planet, and we might be able to use it to dial the Stargate. Uh, and um, that turns out to be a hoax. Yeah. And because that turned out to be a hoax, I'm not sure if there actually is any kind of subspace link where we're getting stuff you know, real-time from these sea ships or not. Remind me, what was the fallout of that? That, that it wasn't actually an Icarus planet? Or it was? Or what was it? Um, he had faked it. I think he had just pulled some planet out of the database and faked that it was in their path a year ahead so we've got this packet of information that's been downloaded that's going to be in play the alien creatures do you want to move on to that yeah who the heck are these guys there's a line that rush apparently thinks that they might be a research team long was left here mm-hmm. by somebody they have stasis pods they do so apparently they're here long term they do they were all asleep I have a theory. Do you have a theory? I have a theory about maybe who they are, not necessarily about their research or why they were asleep. Okay. Let's hear your theory. I think that they are laborers aboard the ship. I was wondering, when I first watched the episode, I said to myself, those, those hallways are awfully compact. They're awfully small. You know, this ship mm-hmm. is do- not designed necessarily to su- support a crew. And then it, that got me thinking. Right. Maybe it's designed for them. Maybe... Because they're they're smaller than us, you know they they could maneuver around that ship easier. They certainly have a handle on destiny systems, though that could have been because they were studying it. Those pods mm-hmm. could have been placed there originally. I think that the seed ships, uh, and we have speculated on this before. Destiny is just flying behind, but the seed mm-hmm. ships are actually busily doing things, nam- namely seeding planets with gates, and that I suspect would require some degree of maintenance. 
Um, I think that I think that they are workers. I think that they're laborers that have that have been aboard the ship and 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 remain in those stasis chambers unless they are needed. So they were actually intended to be there. I think that uh, they were intended maybe to be there. Were even they were there when the ship was launched. I suspect that a generation of them may have been. Yeah, which would make them possibly native to the Milky Way galaxy? Maybe. I've heard some people spe- speculate that they are very, very early Asgard. Mm. Well, it has been a million plus years, and, and we think many, many millions of years, that these ships have been out there. So it's mm. certainly possible that their evolution has made them made them very dissimilar from a race that we do know. Maybe they're the furlings. Maybe they're furlings. Everybody who comes on the screen now is a furling. Oh, th- that is always going to be the case. You're going to have furling conspiracy theorists for the rest of time. Damned Torment of Tantalus Season 1 of SG-1. <laughs> it just shows that something uh, like the what? Alliance of the Four Great Races really sticks in terms of the mythology and significance of the propulsion of this franchise, you know? That reminds me, Pedro's voicemail last week actually asked us about the Furlings, and we neglected to answer his question. Yeah, I only heard when we when we heard the final show, I realized that we didn't answer his question. Sorry, Pedro. Um, but he asked last week... If the advanced aliens, maybe who made the obelisk planet, the planet where Kane and his his crew live, that TJ was was taken to with her baby in the season premiere, maybe those advanced aliens are the Furlings. What do you think could about be. that theory? I don't At this point, so. it could be anybody. So, but they, yeah, you and me could be the Furlings at this point. Yeah. Here's my theory on the aliens. You ready for yes. this? Yes. They're they're obviously made the CG on the on the critters is made to be dissimilar from the blue space aliens that we mm. encountered last season. Mm-hmm. But they're also kind of similar. They've got the big cranium, they've got the big wide offset eyes. They've got these little mouths with sharp teeth. Um, they kind of look like the space aliens to me. And you look at their legs, the way that their their the anatomy of their legs is structured. I tried I'm to see their elbows. Did they have spikes on their elbows too? I don't know if I saw their elbows, but we did see a hand. It makes me want to go back to the screen caps and yeah. look for one of the blue guy's hands to see if they have those four elongated fingers. Mm-hmm. They're pretty um, so my similar. Guess is that in these guys. Appearance. My guess is that these guys are a labor class or. Maybe a, a science class uh, cast or something that's that's oh, either race. a related species or actually the same species. Mm-hmm. I was wondering about it. You, you you hear him talk, he he speaks, and it's it's very dissimilar from the roars right. or whatever you want to call it that uh, that right. the other ones have made. Really interesting dialect. I wish we could have heard more because it sounded really cool. It sounded kind of Star Warsy. Yeah, and and he's made to be kind of cute. Kind of vulnerable, you know, sitting there with his with his knees tucked up to his chest, you know, looking up at TJ with his big eyes. What's um, with him passing out? Well, he he's been in stasis, I think, for who knows how long. I think so, that that was it too. I think that that was it too. I think that he just uh, didn't quite have his his sea legs about him yet. These guys seem pretty docile. They the only thing that they do is they use a stun weapon yeah. on Volker and Rush. When, as soon as we initiate that power transfer, we start taking away the ship's power. Was then it Volker in Rush or was it Dunning? It was Volker. Oh, okay. I think it was Dunning. I thought it was Dunning and then I rewatched it and I thought that when I rewatched it, it was Volker. But then I see them carrying Dunning out later. Yep. Either, yeah, but either guys. way, they don't kill them. Yeah, they don't kill them and they only do it when we're taking stuff that this ship needs. We're taking its power. And then they, they reset the power to transfer the other way, and they leave. Maybe these guys are, are, are not hostile. Even if they are a part of the same species as, as the Blue Meanies, 
they're, they're, I mean, maybe the maybe the blue guys are like the military caste, the warriors of their race. These guys, these guys are the worker bees. They they know their science and technology, and they've been left there to study the ship. I thought maybe they've been left there to study the ship to help the blue guys get access to Destiny, and maybe they found this ship first. And this is how they found out about Destiny. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a connection between those two species, because certainly in, they're in the teaser in every episode. So we're we're supposed to be aware either that they are out there or that there are threats out there. Boy, that recap was long this, this week, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. They had, had a like lot of information whole, in there. There was. It was in two parts. There was like a season one recap, leading up which to is if every episode. Recap. Well, you've you've got that. That's the the neat thing about those is you've you've usually got two sections. The the first section is the overall story arcs. You know what's going on. Destiny, Destiny's mission, uh, aliens following us. This, that, the other, and then you've got episode specific story arcs that that they're recapping you on. So it's Immediate it's a plop. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Do you think that uh, they're going to harm Telford? Do you think that they'll hurt him? It's 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 a nice little ending. Telford's marooned on this ship now, and uh, he radios Destiny. He gets static because Destiny's already jumped into FTL, and then the the critters come out, sort of approach him, and there's this nice little little. You know, it's music slash sound effects that that they did. That's uh, mm-hmm. just nice and creepy. But I I don't know. I I just see these guys as kind of pretty docile. So I don't think that they're. I don't think that Telford has a whole lot to worry about, other than trying to figure out how to communicate with them and find something to eat so that he can survive. I think he's going to be back. Yeah, uh, he's on a ship. He's he's on a ship with an advanced alien race. I think that we're going to see him again at some point. I suspect. Uh, so no, I I don't think they're going to be going to be harming him. That's one of the things that I was expecting with this episode. I was saying to myself, okay, we've got Telford um, continuing to walk around on the ship. You got a you got a big actor like Lou Diamond Phillips, who you know is, is, is a pretty busy guy. You know you're not going to get him for an entire mm-hmm. season. Where is he going to go? Where where are they going to stuff him? Yeah, he's not a he's not a regular cast. Exactly. That that was the thing that I was wanting to know. Where are they going to stuff him for the next several episodes or uh, until you know a uh, a mid season cliffhanger or something where they can bring him back and, and give his character some real thrust. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he got over to that ship, it's one of those things. I mean, I knew that I knew that he wasn't going to be coming back. Your that's, storytelling spidey sense goes off. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that's fine. You know, it does. They don't kill the character that way. They they put him in a box for a little while until they can bring him out again and play with him. And, and it makes it really makes sense story wise that this is necessary because Telford is a colonel. Remember, he's yeah. the same rank as Young. Young just happened to have have officially been in charge of Icarus Base, mm-hmm. which is these people are basically Icarus Base. So he's rightfully in command, even though Telford is the same rank. Well, I um, love the relationship between these two in this episode. These these two are friends, and you know now that he's no longer brainwashed, you can see that David is very intent on not stepping on his friend's toes, but he wants to, like he says, I appreciate being kept in the loop all the same, because he's got command experience, yeah. and he's... Yeah, he's he was the one who was supposed to go anyway, and he's I'm probably sure he's aware of uh, Young's uh, tenuous relationship with with Homeworld Command, and yet he is st- still in full support of his friend. Yeah, really he's good. He's pretty genteel about, the two of them. about the way that he confronts Young. Yeah, you know he says he says put me you know, disarming. He says put me in coach. I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines. Yeah, 
Um, he could. He has every right to get in Young's face and basically challenge him and and uh, make everybody aware that that Young is falling apart. Yeah, it's pretty obvious that Young is falling apart. But uh, Young, but he's, he's right that Young he commands like the respect friend. of of the ship. I, I don't know if uh, Young mm-hmm. said that in this episode or the previous one, but you know, Telford can't just take charge. The military would would follow, but a lot of the, the civilians wouldn't. Well, we've seen as recently as the last episode aftermath that Rush is still very much against Colonel Young. He doesn't think he's the right man for the job to be in, in charge. He probably wants to get, get rid of him again. I think that Telford is is uh, is a great candidate for for Rush and for his agenda to have Telford around uh, because he's a colonel and he, yes. can, he can potentially you know take charge when it becomes clear that Young is just falling apart. So the fact that Rush is the one who ends up inevitably stranding Colonel Telford on, on the ship... Yeah. By, by forcing the two to, to undock, that's it's pretty tough. Rush is still in control. You know, I I, I I've been talking with my friends a lot about this uh, about this season as we're moving forward, and, and and a couple of them are just like, I'm really getting sick of Rush. They're saying, they're saying I'm, I'm really getting sick of his his narrow mindedness and being in control and, and constantly pulling the wool over everyone's eyes. You know that they're going to find the bridge sooner or later, uh, with or without Rush's. Uh, intention of them discovering it and uh, the trailers certainly explore that i I, but i I have to say though and gloria does definitely play a sounding board for this did you do what you just did for to save the crew from these creatures or did you do what you just did to preserve your dream of of uncovering Mm -hmm. destiny's mission very very and if that is i think that is much more likely We're, we're dealing with a very very selfish human being here who has next to no regard for human life. Everyone is expendable. He, he needs to be put in his place. You know, I, 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 and I had a conversation the other day with my buddy Dean. You know, he's saying that Young was well within his rights to, to, leave, to leave Rush on that planet. He shouldn't have lied about it. He, when he got back, he should have said, I got rid of him. He, he, was, he was becoming a serious problem. And he's still and he's still pulling crap. He's he's an interesting character who's in an interesting place in season two compared to season one because remember in season one we didn't really get to peer inside of his head all that much. Yeah. Except in an episode like Human. We were always left kind of questioning his motives. Did he do this? Uh, just like, like Gloria asks him, did he do this for, for his own his own dream, his own ambition? Or for the sake of the crew, you know, in in Earth when he uh, does his little magic show and gets uh, Telford and the scientists mm-hmm. to flee Destiny because they think mm-hmm. the ship is going to be destroyed. Is he doing that for the sake of the crew because he really thinks that the plan to dial the gate back to Earth is not going to work and is going to to put Destiny at risk? He's in an interesting place in season two now now because we have Gloria, I think, as some insight into his head and and he has conversations with her. Uh, that are very private, uh, so it's mm-hmm. almost like his own inner dialogue is now is now external because he has this mm-hmm. hallucination to talk to. You. So we mm-hmm. learn things like in this episode, we learn that you know he didn't want to strand Telford. Telford was probably going to be his ally. There's a shot in the episode where he sort of overhears Telford yeah. confronting Young. He didn't want to do it. You don't think so? No, not with Telford. For yeah. sure, I think Telford was a, was a, a big plus, a big some somebody that he could use against Young. Big time. Mm. You know, he's got this issue, having found the bridge where he needs a crew, 
I think Gloria's helped him to see that he can't run this thing by himself, even though he continues to try. Yeah. I think as the season goes on, it's going to become increasingly evident that he can't run this ship by himself and, and is going to have to bring in some other people, whether he likes it or not. Yeah. Uh, so he's in that place right now where he's trying, he's, he's still trying to do it all. He's still trying to be in control of this ship, and he, he can't be. He's screwing up. I, I like where they've taken the character in season two, where where they've added the the Gloria element now, where you know you've kind of got a de- it's well, it's a Dexter thing going on. It's Dexter. It's like Dexter talking to his dad, debating decisions, and I like that. I like that. it's better than the character talking aloud to himself, expositing. I mean, that's like Malcolm in the Middle. I mean, you, that's not as interesting. But in the same vein, I'm I'm beginning to just beginning to share my friends' views about um, the becoming weary about uh, the rush character and what you can only keep this kind of duplicity up for so long before the character becomes really stale and it's like, will someone please kill him and get him off the ship so that we don't have to deal with this zit anymore? <laughs> but for the time being, I like where the character is going. I hope to see some growth of this character as, as the as the season progresses. Yeah, and there certainly is the question of pacing. How long mm-hmm. can we how long will we enjoy seeing Rush at this stage? He's only been at this stage for two for two weeks. Only two episodes since he found the bridge. And I have to correct myself. You were right about the bullet wound uh, through uh, Chloe's leg. She wasn't undergoing a transformation yet. That was an in- entry wound and an exit wound. So you were right. And uh, that's just just brought up enough in this episode for us to remember that, that it's an issue. Yeah. And then we have more Lucian Alliance stuff going on. Varro is a little bit unhappy that Young is not trusting them more, not letting, out of, not letting them out of the cargo hold. Uh, because they've been cooperative, they've been giving intel mm-hmm. to Homeworld Command back on Earth. I would suspect that maybe they've actually sent some of those guys back to Earth via communication stone to be interrogated. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the, if that's definitely the case. We're we're needing to, and this is another point that some of my friends have raised, and I've seen a lot of this online as well. People are beginning to get tired of uh, of these characters uh, being caged up. Yeah, that was one of the things that tired me about Galactica in Season 2, was that Sharon was in a cage for all of Season 2. I hope that's not the case with this thing. The, the, in, with this, with these guys, they need, to be pres- they need to be given a situation where they can prove that they're trustworthy and where they can, they can prove that they are honorable to an extent, or prove that they're useful yeah. to the Destiny crew. If the ship gets invaded again by the blue aliens i think that that will be a, a good opportunity for them to show that they are that they that they can be useful but it, it's pretty clear right now mm. that young is not going to give them that opportunity because he says yeah. you know varo is like well, how can i prove that we're trustworthy and 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 young says i don't think that you can i don't think that it's possible it's one thing to let them out of their cage it's, it's another thing to have an opportunity where you are forced to put a weapon in their hands mm-hmm. yeah it's a slow burn for sure, introducing these characters. Um, there's this great scene with uh, TJ checking out Simeon. Yeah. Do you remember this? Robert Nepper's character. And yeah. and he sort of goes after her, not in a mean way, but in like a aggressive He's testing the water, way. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she just takes it and rolls with it. Simeon, when they announced uh, the casting of Robert Nepper, who I think is a pretty significant actor... And they they announced that it was going to be like a six or seven episode arc. Well, we're three episodes in now, and Simeon hasn't done much other than sort mm-hmm. of look around and calculate. Mm-hmm. I want to see what this guy's got under the hood. I'm getting the impression that he's Varro's lieutenant. 
in the, in the current command structure. So it's going to be interesting to see to see where that happens. Uh, I, I'm not sure about maybe, maybe they are maybe they're both uh, of of equal rank, but it, it certainly mm-hmm. looks. I mean, Varro has been like saying my my team, you know, my my people. He he certainly is taking the lead, and and excellent for Mike Dopoot, a great actor. I don't know that much about Robert Nepper. I, I'm I'm very happy that Mike Dopoot is is uh, is front and center. We learn more about Varro's wife in this one. Yeah, got killed in the rain. He was married, and his wife did not like the fact that he was a member of the Lucian Alliance because she thought it was too dangerous. He was always going out on these missions that he had no no business coming back from alive. And then a couple of years ago, she was coming home from the market and sought shelter from a rainstorm in this building that collapsed and killed her and a Six half a dozen other people. And yeah. he was just angry that you know he's out there risking his life all the time, and she gets killed by something so mundane. Yeah, I like his character for sure, and they're obviously continuing to sow the seeds with TJ and to to give little moments to that relationship. So, and they're sowing the seeds of a, go somewhere. a potential attack on Earth as well that is imminent, mm-hmm. which may lead to a certain episode that we're aware of later this year. That's it's interesting to see. It's interesting to see where that's going to go. Uh, before I forget about it, too, Young makes the comment that we've we've been we've been wondering just uh, how far ahead the cedar ships are some people uh, like me think right, that right. the cedar ship is is potentially years uh, many many years ahead and other people say it's just a few months so as to keep the gates from getting mm-hmm. buried and and things like that but uh, young makes an interesting comment that the ship is older than destiny I don't think he would have said that if the ship was had just been sent out a few months before Destiny. I don't think in in the the grand millions upon hundreds of millions of years scheme that that that, that would have mattered very much. The ship is older than yeah. Destiny, and that suggests to me that the other ships have been sent out long ahead. Yeah, what wouldn't make sense to me thinking about the original ancients who who had this project? It wouldn't make sense to me that it would take multiple generations of ancients to get these ships launched. So I would think that's probably within the lifetime of the leads on this project. Now, mm-hmm. Unless they have a really specific reason why the ships need to be out there that much farther ahead and that the Stargates need to be on these planets that much longer ahead of Destiny. It seems to me like it's probably years maybe decades. I just thought that it was interesting Although that Young made, had found it necessary to make the comment. Yeah. Talk about the fact that it's older. Yeah. Although mm-hmm. the fact that we were able to catch up with this ship indicates that it can't be too long. I doubt that that, that ship has been sitting there stationary for you know hundreds of years. Depending on why it stopped, I think that Brody speculates early in the episode that it may have had a systems malfunction that caused it to stop. That was before we met the aliens. I think if maybe the aliens stopped it deliberately then it's probably only been stopped for a few months. It's time for quibbles! Dost thou have quibbles for this episode? I have a couple. Okay. Well, you go ahead and start then, because I have one. My first quibble is, again, not so much a quibble as a question. The show is doing a great job sort of leaving us breadcrumbs that keep us asking questions and, and sort of speculating. But my question slash quibble is, uh, we know now, we have solid confirmation that the Lucian Alliance is planning an attack on Earth. And based on what we know about the Milky Way and the politics that are going on in the Milky Way as of a couple of years ago, why would the Lucian Alliance attack Earth directly? Yeah. Um, we've kind of, we've probably pissed them off plenty. We've made them uh, our enemy. But these guys are not Apophis. They're not going to come after us 
just for you know retribution for something that we've done. They probably are coming after Earth because we have something that they want. I'm really curious as to what that might be. Did did you, weren't you the one who made the comment last week that they like our spaceships? Didn't you tell me that, or was that's I talking true. with someone else? No, no, that's right. That was last week. That's true. That is a legitimate reason. But coming after they Earth, they do yeah. like our spaceships. But as we saw in the attack on Icarus Space in the series premiere, they've made some upgrades to the Gould ships that they have mm. that allow them to to hang tight in a firefight against uh, one of Earth's ships that has been you know upgraded with mm-hmm. with Asgard shields and weapons. The story reason for doing it is that the audience is from Earth, and it's good to have threats that potentially put that audience in the line of fire as well. So, I mean, this goes all the way back to season one of SG-1. You know, occasionally you have to have Earth under fire. That's that's how the show is interesting. But in in terms of, mm-hmm. or that's one of the ways that keeps the show interesting, because the audience is from that planet, and you don't want that planet blowing up. That translates across sci-fi. In-universe, I suspect it could be technologies. They they may not know that the chair has blown up, They, they the ancient chair. The ancient weapons platform, they may be interested in that. I think it may have something to do with what they know about destiny that we don't. There may be there may be a key on Earth. That would make that, sense. That so we know that they've yeah. been doing reconnaissance on Earth. They're up to something. Yeah, and destiny was launched from Earth. That would yep. make sense. Maybe we were supposed to head out there from Earth and with, with a certain piece of technology or a certain key. And that that is necessary. For them to uh, do that, it's and you know that's uh, th- there was a comment made earlier by Kiva. You know the the next wave, we won't do this. You know maybe they're planning a second wave mm-hmm. from Earth, or maybe they're planning a, a second wave period because something is on Earth that they need. That Kiva's team was just kind of a recon team to to get the ship ready. Yeah, get control of it, and then whenever we get the key to the ignition, then we've got to find a way to get it to the ship. Yeah. My quibble. What is the range on those Motorola uh, walkie-talkies? I swear <laughs> in SG-1 in Atlantis, I, I swear, but I, I haven't been able to, to pinpoint exact episodes because I haven't gone looking for it. I swear that uh, they've used walkie-talkies for surface-to-ship communication before. So literally hundreds of potential miles. But in this, it certainly looks like a range of, oh, six or seven miles. When they're, when they're talking, af- after the, uh, the, the ship has disconnected, they're using those, those walkie-talkies to talk between Young and Telford. I'd really mm-hmm. like to know the range on those things, both in-universe and in the ships in, are really that, that far apart at that point? Oh, look at how small it was out, out of Rush's window. It was way up there. And then it got mm. closer again, and it, and it took off. Destiny's big. You know, it was several car lengths or destiny lengths between Destiny and the Seed ship after it disconnected. I would guess it wasn't miles away. I would guess it was probably a few hundred clicks. I want to know more about the power reserves that, that the two ships are capable of. We get to the Seed ship and we discover that it has tons and tons of power in its battery, so much that we can dial the Stargate, the nine Chevron address to get back to Earth. That ship is a lot smaller than Destiny. And older, I understand it, it, it has to have the power, obviously, to, to manufacture Stargates and somehow deposit them. Uh, I want to know how it deposits Stargates without sort of some sort of beaming technology. But this ship apparently has so much more power than Destiny does, uh, even though it's, it's tiny and it's yeah. not sort of the main ship. 
Uh, it's I, just sort of a utilitarian ship. I wish they would have explored that a little bit more. I wish they would have, have confirmed whether... I mean, it's 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 probably certain that the, the Cedar ships also recharge the same way by using suns. But what is it about the Cedar ships that makes their power cells more fortified from atrophy than Destiny's? Destiny's are what? It, it can f- charge at, what, 22% of their original capacity now? It, now? it was It was in water. The, it's specifically given as almost 40%. Almost 40%? So maximum maximum capacity now is less than 40% of, of design capacity. Okay. Which means, probably, that if, if, the, if the Cedar ship is suffering from the same deterioration, that 80% of design capacity would have been enough to, to dial Earth. I don't think that they would have put the ship out there and prevented you from getting back to Earth. Surely, when Destiny was a spring chicken, they could have dialed Earth when they wanted to. Yeah, the, the Destiny herself would have been capable of dialing back to Earth. Or maybe it's designed to otherwise, dial from the inside of a sun. Otherwise, you're talking about when the ancients come to Destiny. Mm-hmm. They know it's a one-way trip. So, Awakening. Overall, what would you think? It was good. It was a good, solid episode. But like I said, for reasons mostly my own, I uh, was disappointed in the show as well. There were a couple of little things in it that just irritated me. I mean, I was, I've so, so been looking forward to seeing a seed ship. I cannot. Well, I can tell you. I mean, I was supposed to say I cannot tell you how much I've been looking for it, because uh, you know these are these are a huge chunk of the mythology, and we spend four seconds uh, looking at the the pretty stargates, and that it's it's one shot. We don't even get a we don't even get a, a CG effect of of panning through the the manufacturing center. We don't get to see them under construction. They're just kind of sitting there, you know. And then we move on, and, and Rush is very like yeah, okay. Rush's response was underwhelmed. Yeah, very underwhelmed. It's just that really irritated me, and and the the whole bit about taking the alien back to the ship. I was saying to myself, oh yeah, like like he's going to be back at the ship, sure. And then he decides to escape, and TJ calls Young, and Young says we lost the alien. Young's like, okay, whatever. And it's, there was, it, it's almost like it was planned. Like I mean, Young Young doesn't even say what you lost him. How could you have done that? We need it. No, it was just like whatever. Like he didn't even care. Uh, so that that irritated me. The episode fails to answer so much. It's just set up, set up, set up, which is fine, but the, the episode didn't answer really anything at all. And I think it, I think that's one of the things that I was expecting from this episode. An awakening, you know, an awakening can suggest an understanding of information, uh, not necessarily an info dump, but give us something. And we haven't. Mm-hmm. We haven't gotten much of anything. Now, what's what's pretty much guaranteed is. You know that that a lot of these questions are going to be answered over the course of the season, and and they will be answered. It's not like when I was watching Atlantis. You know, I would I would have a question, and and no, they they never had any intention of exploring that. They do have intention of exploring these things. It's just I wanted them then, and I didn't get them in that episode. So I get to <laughs> yeah, wait. Well, we both wanted more payoff, I think, because we saw Seed Ship. Uh, yeah. In, in the info. Um, well, I mean, it came out in the sci-fi, or it originally came out in the sci-fi episode description, the extended, like, three-paragraph episode description. And then once we published that and it got out, then basically everybody started talking about it. You know, it, was, got it. it was sort of fair game, even among the producers, to talk about the fact that this was coming. I wish that more had happened. I wish that we had learned more. So, yeah, everything that I brought to this episode resulted in, in me kind of feeling like I didn't didn't get enough. Because uh, not a whole lot happens. We find the ship. No, it doesn't. We walk around the hallways. You know, we have the alien encounter. We try and dial a Stargate. 
uh, we end up in bigger trouble than we were in before in terms of our power consumption. And and then Telford gets stranded. I mean, it's, it's it's kind of a small story. There's nothing wrong with that, but I was expecting a bigger story with such a big piece of the mythology here. Uh, I was expecting more to happen. Now, taking the episode uh, on its own merits as 45 minutes of television, it's it's a good episode. Well, it's not a good standalone episode. I mean, with, without it's, the, it's without a, the a, rest of the series. It's part of a slow burn. Yes, it's yes. Part of if, a slow burn. This, is, sure. this would not be a, a satisfying episode to show your friends to get into the show. It, it's, it's a fine episode in, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the storytelling, and, and I think that the pacing was, was interesting. It's, it's a little bit slow, but um, in terms of a standalone episode, it's well, well, do, it's well done. The aliens we were great. Telford. We do lose Telford. Yeah. Advancing the plot, we lose Telford, and we find out that that there are some aliens who have found one of these sea chips and are and are studying it. Well, we don't know let's, what they're doing on it. Let's let's be honest. Yeah. We don't know why they're there. We speculate. We speculate. We do speculate. They're a research team. I must applaud Joel Goldsmith. It was his his uh, minimalist uh, music in this episode was was good. That uh, SGU has has kind of adopted this minimalist stance when it comes to music and sound. You know, there's never this wall of sound. We're in deep space. It's silent often, and there are moments in this episode where he shines. Yeah, I like the music. After the first few minutes, it it struck me in the first few minutes as really sort of synthesizer-y. Mm-hmm. and I think I've made that comment on one or two previous episodes that there's just a bit of the score that that seems a little I mean it's just a different style you know I yeah. compared it to to you know early 80s movies like Blade Runner sort of of use of synthesized music versus the big orchestral music that SG1 and Atlantis and the Star Trek franchise have used yeah. for so long it's it's different choices well i've i've made that argument forever you know i that synthesized music i just my my ears kind of get get turned off from it. I'd rather have a 10-piece real orchestra than a 60-piece fake or- orchestra any day of the week. But, you know, with with the with the choices that Universe has made, I don't mind it at all and I th- I think it's been done very e- effectively. I think it's I think it's been done very effectively. So we have one bit of listener mail that was not about this episode. Let's listen. Listener mail. Hey guys, it's Dixon from New York. Just like to tell you guys you're doing a good job on the show, but I'd just like to throw another theory out there concerning uh, Jay and the magical planet that she's dreaming about. I'd like to throw out that maybe that Destiny is the one that's actually con- making up her hallucination, just like Destiny was able to make a hallucination of Russia's wife. Maybe Destiny is also the one that's um, con- uh, people from the Fate planet in order to help TJ cope with the loss of her baby. Very interesting question. I never thought of that before. I never thought of that. That that could be. Yeah, that's a great theory. I'm not sure what else to say about it other than we should have thought of it. This week's listener question, of course. Tuesday night on Sci-Fi Channel. If you live in the U.S., you better be watching Stargate Universe. It's episode four, Pathogen. This one is directed by Robert Carlyle, who plays Dr. Nicholas Rush on the show. Be tuning in at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. It also airs on Friday if you live in Canada or in Australia. This week and every week, we want to know what you guys think about the new episode so that you can be a part of this conversation that we are are blathering on about. So call into the podcast hotline and leave us your thoughts after you watch the episode. David, what's that number? That number is 951-262-1647. 
You can email in a brief audio recording, and we will shove it into the podcast like we're stuffing a Christmas turkey. And uh, you can get on the show. So, yeah. So, the next week's is uh, is Pathogen. What do you think about Pathogen? Now, if I were to go with the episode title on this one, I would say that this is SGU's Hot Zone or SGU's Broke a Divide. Okay. Where everyone gets infected by something. There's a bug that makes us sick, and TJ has to find a cure. On November 1st on the podcast, we'll be talking about the episode titled Cloverdale. And then on November 8th, episode 6 of SGU, Trial and Error. (gasps) Three words. That's our first multi-word title. That's exactly right. I wonder what happened. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into this week's show. And once again, thanks to Russell for editing the show for us. Give us a call on the hotline if you have any thoughts about not just Pathogen this week, but uh, SGU Season 2 so far or anything else Stargate or sci-fi related. If you want to ask us a question or uh, give us a theory, we'd love to hear them. You can also post on the podcast feedback thread over at GateWorld Forum. It's a great place to discuss the show, the contents of the show. Uh, We generally don't read stuff on air anymore. So if you want to get on the show, call into the hotline or send us uh, a voicemail by email. And from GateWorld, this is Darren. This is David. And we'll see you back here next week for more of the GateWorld Podcast. Thank you.